This is the Reconstructed Man Podcast, and I'm your host, Lane Ingram. The Reconstructed Man Podcast is a place where we explore the transgender experience by sharing our stories and lifting up the voices of others. It is for everybody, trans, cis, and everywhere in between. This show is about building community and connections, and I am so glad you're all here. So this season, I wanna talk to trans people who live in or are from Michigan, that was my quest. But really, I wanna talk to everybody. I wanna meet as many trans people as I can. I wanna share their stories. And today, I have such an amazing guest to talk to, especially in light of everything that's going on in the world right now. Today, we're gonna look at what it's like to be a trans woman in America. I know what it's like to be a trans guy of color, but my experience is vastly different from many trans women. Yes, we all come out. Yes, we determine how we're gonna transition, but it's different. And whether you believe it or not, there is an unfair stigma placed around trans women that adds an extra layer of hardness to any transition. I am amazed at their courage. And instead of taking something that you read about something else on the internet as a fact, let's actually hear from someone in the community. We're also gonna talk a little bit about the anti-LGBTQ legislation sweeping across this country. My guest today is Tatiana Furman. She's a model, choreographer, ordained minister, and the CEO of Bridges for Life, an organization that works to help teens and young adults on the street and in foster care become responsible, self-sufficient, confident, and educated adults. She's also the CEO and chair president of the NYC chapter for the National LGBTQ Worker Center. She's a wife, a mother, a daughter, and a sibling. And now I can call her a friend, Tatiana. Welcome to the show and thank you so much for saying yes. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Honestly, it's a pleasure to be here and to partake with you in these conversations to educate the world and to show our visibility. Right. So speaking of visibility, we just met a few days ago. We were both on a panel uh, for Trans Day of Visibility. I got to hear a smidge of your story, um, but I want to know a little more about you. I want to know, you know, where are you from? What do you do? You're a CEO. You are a model, a choreographer. Like how did I not know you? So let us all know. Who are you? Um, I am a Dominican transgender Hispanic woman. So I consider myself Afro-Latina. Um, I am from Yonkers, New York. Um, I am a sibling of five. Um, my mother and father um, are been married for like 40 something years, still together, you know, raised us um, in, in, in Brooklyn and, and in Yonkers and I've been living all over, right? So, um, you know, uh, from being in Yonkers, um, I felt that living a life as a transgender woman, um, sometimes where you're where, where you're raised, right, and where, where you particularly went to school at, and 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 where you you know pretty much met your um your your peers, it's kind of hard to live with your um with as your true identity. So um at by the age of 16, 18, I was already trying to get out of Yonkers and, you know, li live my life somewhere else because I, I, I felt that it was impossible for me to do it in Yonkers. For one, I was always mindful of my parents, mm -hmm. of what, what they thought, you know, how embarrassed they would be. Um, my brother, um, who, who I adored and respected so much. And um, I was ashamed of being was a gay person at the time because, you know, um, before I was a transgender woman, I was pretty much a gay person. So um, as a gay person, you know, I was embarrassed to be who my authentic self and to um, shine that that disrespect towards my brother. At least that's how I saw it. So he was well known in the community. And um, and that that 
was kind of like a good thing for me in, in, in one way or another because it was easy for me to, to, um, to grow up in Yonkers. However, I feel that up until the age of 15, he paved that way for me to, um, to live life a little easier. So um, I didn't go too much through the gay bashing and, uh, you know, and, and the disrespect or anything like that because everybody knew me as, you know, a little OZ, a little OZ Capretti pretty much. So it was like OZ Capretti's sister, OZ Capretti's brother at the time. So, um, you know, I had that respect, which I thank him so much for that, that um, I feel like he made it easier for me to walk the streets and whatnot, but still living um, to actually live in my authentic self and be the woman that I know I was because, you know, everybody knew me as a gay person, but I knew and deep inside I wasn't really a gay person. I was a woman. Um, however, um, on, growing up on TV, I didn't see no representation of myself, so I didn't know much about how to go about it how to be who I, you know, saying how I was going to, how I was going to open up to the world, how I was going to do this. Um, the closest representation that I saw of myself on TV was RuPaul. And, um, and unfortunately I never connected with that because I didn't consider myself to be a drag queen, you know? Um, so, you know, it was kind of hard growing up and trying to find my true identity. Um, but it wasn't until I, I had the courage to actually move out of Yonkers and go and move into Brooklyn that I was able to, um, to actually start, you know, cross-dressing at the time, as I called it, yeah. because I was still, um, identifying as a male, um, but living my life as a female secretly. So, you know, I did that for for like two, three times. And then I, I remember, um, I think it was like the third week of me doing it that I was just like, oh, no, I'm not I'm not switching back and forth. Like, you know, um, they're just going to have to deal with it. Um, I, tra I transitioned. Um, I started transitioning pretty much at a job. I love that job because it was a lucky, I, I felt like I was so lucky to have that job. Um, you know, I was young. Here I was, you know, say I was like 16, 17. And I started transitioning there. So um, little by little, because I was always, like I said, ashamed of how I um, represented myself for my, you know, everybody that knew me in Yonkers as a male. So I started off, I think I remember growing my nails. It was so weird because I started like growing my nails and not putting any, um, not, not putting any color to it. So for some reason, I felt that as long as I have no color on my nail, no it was still kind of like manly. It was still masculine. <laughs> <laughs> Right. So, you know, I would do stuff like that. I grew up my dress because I felt like, okay, with well, my dreadlocks, I could be a girl, I could be a boy sometime, and whatever. You know, dreadlocks is still masculine, so people won't see me as feminine and whatnot. So I started to do things like that. Um, I was still dressing like a boy, but just just wearing like tighter clothes mm -hmm. and whatnot, and just trying to uh, make myself appear a little more feminine. Let me Until ask you I, something real quick, though. So you're 16, 17 years old. You're and you knew this about yourself, right? Like you finally kind of mm -hmm. got out and you knew this about yourself. I mean, who are you, who are you going through this with? Like, who are you talking to? By myself, literally, literally by myself. So, um, absolutely nobody. I remember I had opened up and told my mom, um, at the age of 15, like, mom, you know, I think I'm gay or whatever the case. And there's this show, um, it was called the, um, the Christina show. And my mom was like, um, you know, um, don't worry, baby. I know I've seen this, um, the Christina show plenty of times and there's always men that think that they're gay and then they, they turn out to not be gay. And I'm like, <laughs> No, my, this is not <laughs> one of those right. episodes, honey. This is real life. Right. Like, I am not, it is not going back and forth. So, and literally, you know, so she kind of like um, helped. I guess she felt that she was helping me by doing that, by helping me supposedly like keep it a secret from my brothers and my father, um, whatnot. But it was like her, I guess, trying to, trying to give me time to figure it out. Mm-hmm. 
if that's what I really wanted to do or go that route and whatnot. And by the time I was um, like 17 and ready to move out, it was already too late. You know, um, uh, I, I, I wasn't going back. So it was like, uh, you know, we, we finally had the conversation with my brothers and father and whatnot. And my, my, my brother was in jail at the time. This was actually him before, before getting, um, deported. So he was in jail at the time and, um, he actually didn't really say much. Like, um, he, you know, he was just like, yeah, I heard. And I'm like, <laughs> Well, yeah. you heard and what? Like, hey, do you love me? And he's like, and he's like, yeah. I'm like, like you love me? Like, he's like, oh, that's not something I want to talk about right now. And I'm like, okay. So I took it immediately. Like, okay, I feel, you, mm-hmm. you know, blah blah blah. And um, I didn't talk to my brother. Um, maybe um, almost a, a probably like a year later when he got out of jail and actually got deported, and we started, you know, to actually conversate and whatnot. I guess once he was in a more state, a better state of mind. Um, but no one ever turned their back on me. So that was a, um, so that's what ultimately helped me um, become the person that I was, but I still had the stigma from the rest of the world, you know? So, and it was um, scary. So I had to transition little by little. Like I started transitioning at the job, like I was mentioning. And then um, once I knew that I wanted to do this, like physically and just live my life as a female, I had to, I had to stop all that. So I left that job. I left everything. I left Yonkers. I moved to to to, to Brooklyn, and I started um, looking for work out there. Mm-hmm. Um, it was impossible for me to find work as a female. It was hard. It was so hard. Um, so I ultimately ended up um, resolving to sex work, and that's how I started surviving in the city um, as a transgender as a transgender girl. You know, and 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 of course using whatever resources that I had available, um, food stamps and you know. Mm-hmm. DSS and whatnot, blah, blah, blah. Um, this was the first time that I was on my own. So this was all like things that were new to me. And I was getting myself acquainted and I was literally living in a, out of a room paying $150 every week for that room. So I was, it was like stressful. Um, oh, and at the age of like 17, 18, I know what the heck, you know? So, so two things uh, I want to go back to. The first one has to do with, don't, don't you hate that we had to identify as gay? You know, before we knew, I mean, that is, that for me was so hard. Cause like, I was not a lesbian. Like, I don't even like that word. Like I, I never felt like that and it never felt right. But like, you don't know what, what, what else is out there. What's the fit in? Yes. What is the fit? And this is why I say that, um, cause I'm so glad to be living in a state where, um, where every school, like I'm so freaking happy that every school in New Jersey is mandated. Um, to, to to teach LGBTQ history and to make it inclusive yeah. and whatnot um, in the curriculums and um, and the cheap and mothers don't parents don't have anything to say about it like it's it's, it's either it. you take yeah. a kid out of school and deal with um, CPS because you don't have to your kids don't go to school for a while CPS will be coming to your door and I think that every state um, should mandate that because I feel like um, like I was mentioning earlier as growing up I didn't have no representation right. on TV I didn't know anything about it. Um, and unfortunately, this is what happened to you, right? And, right. and this is what happened to, to the rest of our community that we ultimately were like, okay, yeah, we're gay. And I'm thinking like, no, I'm but a little I'm more than gay. Right. Yeah, exactly. I'm like, I'm a little more than gay. Like, yeah. I don't like gay men. It doesn't like, fit. I like a straight masculine guy. And, you know, I consider myself a straight woman. So, you know, it was very difficult because I feel like, we all, at one point in our life, you know, some people might not agree, but I feel like at one point in our life, before we actually transition, we're non-binary because yeah. we don't necessarily no identify fit. as... 
yeah. that we don't identify as a female. Right. You know, I know I wanted to be a female, but living in my in my male body with a penis, I didn't feel like a female, and I felt very foolish to consider myself as right. one. So, you know, so it was just kind of like, you know, a lot of confusion. But had I had that knowledge and and, and the education in school, that there was you know, a space it was for you. It would have been a base. It would have been it would have been something that I could identify with right. and realize. Like, okay, this is the stage that I'm in now. But later down the line, this is what I want to do and whatnot. So, you know, I went through so many stages as well. Like, please, they, um, my friends, um, there was a point in time where the whole Yonkers knew me as homo thug. And it was just like, no, I'm not a homo right. thug. Like, I'm not a thug. But, okay, I ran with it. But it was like, yeah, sure. It's better than being gay, being, being called a faggot. So it was kind of like, all right, then, yeah, I'm a homo thug. I get it. You'll say I, the, right. the, the guys still chill with me. The guys still respect me. They all know my brother. You know, I got I got respect everywhere. So, all right, fine. I'm a homo thug. But that wasn't what it was. I'm right. like, I'm not no thug. And right. I'm not, not a homo. homo. I'm right. a female. So it was like, you know, so it was very much, it was very much that. So I can relate. So you also said, so here's the second thing I want to go back to before we get to my next question is that you said it was hard to find work at the beginning when you were like, you know what, I'm going to go for it. I'm going to be me. And like, what was that experience like? Like you, you walked in trying, you know, working on presenting and you just got bad. My first job, first off, the first job I ever even, I even like summed up the courage to go and interview as a female. I remember it was Ford. It was um, you know, um the the the, the car dealership Ford. Mm-hmm. Ford car dealership. And it was all the way in Poughkeepsie. Can you believe I drove <laughs> all the way right. over you there? Um, you know, stay and went down there literally. I went to that interview and uh, I was so nervous. I was so nervous because it's my first time presenting as a female at a job. And I'm just thinking, like, oh. but you know, immediately, um, one thing that I had about me was that I was always passive. So it was like, um, you know, passing and, and getting on the train, getting on the bus, and, and, and going to the store and being in the hood and going anywhere was never a problem. Mm-hmm. So those are the little things that actually kind of like started to give me courage little by little. Mm-hmm. And every now and then, I, even when I wasn't dressed as a female or when I wasn't considering myself to be trying to be dressed like a female, just when I was like in my regular boy clothes, I was confusing people and people was, you know, thinking mm-hmm. I was a female and, and responding to me as a female. So I'm like, Wait a minute, hold on. Like, I, I can actually do this. Like, you know, right. so I started, you know, that's when my courage came in and I started doing it. Um, and I remember, um, Someone started calling me um, Candy and Yonkers. Um, someone said, um, "Oh, you know, um, you know what? You're too feminine for me to call you Andy." Because um, that was my birth name, Andy. It was like, um, "I'm going to call you Candy," and that stood. So is. that stood as a little name, and I, 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 I channeled that. Persona, candy. yeah. So well, I'm candy. So I channeled that, and um, and for a long time I was candy farming because I figured like, hey, if I get my ID, you know, maybe it's close by. I don't know. They, they won't confuse it, whatever. Somehow I think I thought I could get away with it. And then the fact that there was um, you know, sister and a woman named Andy, it was kind of like everything was kind of like working on my favor. Absolutely. So I I build up the courage and I went to this interview and I'm sitting there. And I get in, and everything is going well. They're like, "Hey, hi, Miss Furman," and everything like that. I'm like, "Oh, great!" And I'm like, "Okay, great." And here it is. I'm like, uh, 18, 19 there, and um, I'm sitting um, down and I'm interviewing, and then it's time for me to obviously give my ID and everything. And that was just like, oh my god, it was so dreading mm-hmm. for me. 
I was um, immediately embarrassed. And it was just like his response. Not, not even his response, but he didn't respond in no way. He, um, his, his, his demeanor. You felt it. it you, yeah, you felt him realize. The, the, yeah, the demeanor changed. Yeah. Um, what I felt was a flirtatious interview ended up being like, a disgusted interview, I feel like, on his behalf mm. because I felt like he was lusting over me. You know, I was young. So um, I didn't know, you know, to me, professionalism was cleavage, skirt, and pumps. You know what right. I'm saying? I didn't have the sure. mentality like, no, you you know, it's unprofessional to wear pumps over two two inches when you come into an interview. You should always have your skirt, you know, uh, um, past your knees. You know, your cleavage should be actually covered or whatever. Right. You should have a, a shirt that goes a little bit past your hips. You know, these things I didn't know. So I'm over here trying to look all sexy and, and everything. This man was probably like, who the heck is this? And he was like lusting over me. And I think that that's what was almost getting me in the door until, you know, we had to cross that and immediately it was just you know a, a different attitude a different tone and i was um you know pretty much led to the door and said like okay we'll give you a call whatever blah, blah, and i never got a call back um and and that's ultimately what happened um the next two three times that i try to go to different jobs and whatnot and i was always trying to go so far away because i was so embarrassed mm-hmm. so i um finally when i when i summed up to get the courage and 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 find work in in, in the city it was also the same thing but the easiest job for me to find was always like telemarketing jobs. Those jobs, it was kind of like easy because they was like, okay, they're not seeing you. They don't care. Just get, get in the cubicle, right. get on the phone or whatever the case is. So those kind of jobs was easy for me to get. But unfortunately, it was hard for me to meet those quotas and to, you know, and to actually keep the job. So um, I was struggling and I had to ultimately continue doing sex work, unfortunately, to keep surviving. Wow. The, the ID thing really is something. I mean, I, I would never forget when Michigan made it easy to change your gender marker you know when i because i was i had an f on my license for probably the first two and a half years of my transition you know i had facial hair coming in and like and you have to go give your id somewhere and that f was there for me instead of an m it just is like yikes you know because if anybody pays attention to that you know they're just supposed to be checking your birthday but if they pay attention it's like you get the double take and you don't want to like why do we have to feel like that you know? Exactly, definitely. So, you know, um, who made me feel better about that was when um, I went to an organization, like, um, down the line, I was like, um, you know, I think this was like my 20s now. Um, I went to a housing, this company called Housing Works um, Incorporation in Brooklyn, New York. And that's when my life started to kind of like get better. Um, I went to this organization. Um, I found housing with them. Wow. So I didn't have to pay um rooming no more they um they put me in housing i started like a program called jtp with them it was like a, a job training program and um and ultimately that's how kind of like i started to get introduced to to the kind of work that i'm doing now mm-hmm. but unfortunately you know how when we're young we're kind of like young dumb and full of cover as they say and um that i, I feel like i still didn't, haven't had hit rock bottom so i didn't really know what rock bottom was wow. i I feel like I was still playing around with it. So I wasn't appreciative of the, of the opportunity, opportunity that was given mm-hmm. to me because at that age, it was like a perfect opportunity, you know, um, to start working with the, with the clients or whatever, and just doing the work that I'm doing now. And um, I didn't appreciate the opportunity. So I let it slip by my hand, but not even let it slip. Cause I will honestly say that it was um, a result of me being trans. Also, I felt like 
here it is. I'm trying to do good, trying to live my life right, trying to do right. I'm freaking working paycheck to paycheck, um, surviving through paycheck to paycheck. It's not working. And here it is. I ran out the door and I continued sex work. And and I and I did that for like another five, six years wow. until um until ultimately I learned about the Alliance for Positive Change. The Alliance for Positive Change is the, um another organization that that does pretty much similar work. And um and they also have like a, a, a job training program. And I started then by then I already I hit my rock bottom. I done, you know what I'm saying? I done started doing drugs. Okay. I done, wow. you know, I, I you know what I'm saying? I, I I was I done hit my rock bottom like I was doing bad. I left my apartment literally with every single thing, every single thing. When I say every single thing, I mean like, um, oh my God, IDs, passports, shoes, every bit of shoe. I left with literally what I had on me. I left my car parked on my parking space wow. and I just left. Um, I left and, and I had to leave that behind. And that's when I said like when I had no more and I, and I said no more. And I went to um, this organization, the Alliance for Positive Change. I got back into the shelter because I felt like I needed to be in a different um, environment. Um, and I started over from scratch. Um, oh my God, I owe it all to them. So let's say that some of the people listening today are you know, don't know any trans people in general, any trans women, they don't know trans men, they don't know non-binary people, but they do see all this stuff on the news. They see the don't say gay bill. They see the anti-trans legislation in Texas. They see um, Leah Thomas, right? Why do you think it's so hard right now to be trans and specifically to be a trans woman in America? Like what, what is, what's the issue to, in your, in your opinion? The issue is, um, and a lot of people might not agree with me, but um, cisgender women. Oh, boy. Here we go. Here we go. It's crazy. It's, 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 cisgender women is the problem. Um, and, and I don't mean that in a bad way. I mean that in, in, in just in a general way. Um, because there's three factors in this world. The factor is that men sleep with transgender women. Um, straight men sleep with transgender women. That's the fact. Um, transgender women and cisgender women are sharing pretty much the same men. Um, the second factor is that those same men are killing transgender women. And um, the third factor is the reason why. The reason why they're killing transgender women, lusting them overnight and lusting over them at 12 and the midnight, but then killing them before daylight hits the pavement. The only reason they're doing that is so that the cisgender community doesn't know what they was doing behind closed doors with a transgender woman. And if um, we can start beginning to normalize that um and 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 that could be done with the i feel like the cisgender women have so much power in helping um in helping this world um be united with the trans community and the lgbt community because um if they was to to normalize look at each other looking at their um their little boys little king's face and saying listen sleeping with a transgender woman doesn't make you less of a man being lgbtq doesn't make you less of a man or less of a person be whoever you want to be and i support you and if, they, if we had a lot more women that was like that, instead of gay bashing the men when they find out that the men are in relationship with transgender women or that they done did something with an LGBTQ person or whatnot, you know, the world would start to be a better place. But what happens is that, um, I mean, there was a story where, um, uh, this was probably not even a year ago, where um, a woman um, was pretty much just all over social media. She was commenting on a guy, I guess she knew his business, um, and he, you know, dating someone, a trans woman or whatever the case is, blah, blah. And she was um, all on, on live, blasting him and 
putting all the receipts out there and everything like that, blah, blah. And um, want to know where she's at? Six feet under. Because that man said, oh, okay, you want to put my business out there? And I guess, you know, his boys probably started clowning him or whatever the case is. He felt that it was too much of an embarrassment. And he sure enough went looking for her, found her, and put some bullets in her. Wow. And now she is, you know, in jail. Lost his life, I'm um, you know saying lost his life to, to to the system, and she lost her life for nothing, for 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 not minding your business, for being so cruel, for being so um manipulative, for not loving mm-hmm. our community, for not seeing us as human beings. Right. Because what's the problem? I can't get loving too. Right. Why are you so mad that the same man that loves you wants to love on me too? Right. He sees a transgender. He sees a woman. I'm a transgender woman. You're a woman. We're both women, and that's what he sees a woman. So. You know, um, I feel like that the, cis, the cisgender community could play a big role in helping um, us normalize the, the the lives of of cisgender men with um, the LGBT community and transgender women. Wow, I think it's so interesting that your take on that first was to go to. I mean, that's a pretty specific point. Like, it's because we, you know, we need to normalize that it. it's okay to like who you like and to love who you love. Um, I think that's such an interesting take. I mean, I don't know what I thought you were going to say. I'm being honest. I don't know what I thought. You know, I don't. I don't know what <laughs> I thought you were going to say. But I don't know that I thought you were going to say. It's cis women who won't be like, yeah, it's, you know, trans women are women and it's fine. But I do agree with you. I think that in some of the articles that have come out where like, you know, a female athlete or another female contestant on Jeopardy would be like, I love that trans women are part of this. I do think that that's helpful. I do think that it helps people who are outside of those situations see that the people that are actually involved are okay. Like, they, you know, that they're okay. And so I definitely, I mean, I don't disagree with you on anything because it's not my experience, but like I 100% can see that their voice would make a difference. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. For sure. So let me ask you this. What, what does give you the strength to be you? You know, like how, like what gives you, and I, and I mean this because like for me, okay, I started my transition and my, I started to get a beard and I was like, look at you guy. And then my voice dropped and then I got top surgery. And I mean, it's just like, you know what I mean? And so being able to look at myself and, and see me, you know, like that gives me strength, you know? And so I wonder for you, what, what gives you the strength to keep going? So. I think that um, my inner peace, I don't know how I achieve inner peace. Honestly, um, it's something that people ask, like, well, how do you achieve inner peace? And it's like, um, I don't know, it's very hard to explain. Um, But I came to a point where I stopped caring about what people thought about me and just focusing on myself. Um, I started to... um, I use the term embarrass myself because I want to say that when we do stupid things that we normally wouldn't do in the eyes of people who we either lust over or we attracted to are the things that, that, that we will consider like embarrassing. And um, when you do those kind of things, they, 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 it, put, it puts you in a state of mind where, where, where you fear nothing, you know what I'm saying? Nothing can embarrass you. Nothing can, you know, you, you feel like you done done it all already. You don't, you don't yeah. put yourself. Yeah on an open board. So it's kind of like, you know, you can approach things with less fear. You can um, take more chances. You can, um, you know, and and these are the things that people need to do in order to be successful because you can literally be anything you want to be and do whatever you want to do. Just got to be fearless 
in 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 doing it and um and that's where um uh, that's the, the the spark that the LGBTQ community unfortunately sometimes lacks yeah. because of the stigma that we encounter growing up and all this other crap and whatnot. Um, I say that that part of um, part of the inner peace that I got was from from being comfortable around my surroundings with the people who loved me. Like my parents never turned their back on me. So I would say it's very important that, you know, you have family that really does support you. Um, my, my parents never turned their back on me. My brothers, my cousins, like none of, none of them ever turned their back on me. However, I had a battle within myself as a transgender person because somehow, no matter how much loving you get, um, we always tend to, you know, say manipulate ourselves into thinking that we're not love. Right. That um that 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 no, you don't love us. And you wish I was straight and da 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 my mom's like, I don't give a damn who you yeah. are. Like, <laughs> right. you know, and you know, so and, and it's kinda like and we we put ourselves through that. But um the love that I had from the community and people always like, you know, cheering me on or whatever, that kind of gave me inner peace. And um and and the love that I get from my husband, um, that kind of like puts the icing on the cake. Because um, you know, he's so and, and I hate it sometimes because I feel like he's the reason why I'm fat. Because I'm like, he's the reason why I'm fat. Because I'm like, you know, I, when I'm expecting him to be like, okay, man, slow down. You look at a little big on the side. You, you know, like, he's like, he's like always loving and so caring, and he and he doesn't judge me and 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 whatnot. So that meant that made it easier for me to move on. I say, listen, if my own family and and the person I'm married to doesn't judge me, like I'm not gonna hear about what the rest of the world says or does, or I'm just gonna go for it. And um, and that's what keeps me being me, pretty much, and my inner peace. Absolutely, I uh, man, that's the thing about our stories. I say this everywhere I go. I just believe it, right? Like we all. Yes, we're all different. Like your experience is so different from mine. So, you know, from the states we live in to our families to reactions to, you know, the time we took to what we had to do to get where we're at, like all different. But the moment when we knew, you know, and the feelings that we have about ourselves and like that's all the same. And so I, I just find that so interesting. OK, so before we start start talking about real quickly about the bills, tell me about your work. So Bridges for Life, I mean, the thing I love about that, especially after hearing more about your story, is it's got to resonate with you every day. I mean, it has to it has to make your heart beat fast every day doing this work for our community. I've been doing this work since 2008. Nobody in the trans community, um, especially the black trans sex workers, mm -hmm. was getting no help. And at, at all, the LGBT community was getting um, all of all, you know the MSMs. Unfortunately, are the ones that usually get all of the um, the the, the specific of the grants that be coming into these certain organizations that are um, specific for the LGBTQ is under a whole umbrella. That's what happens because the trans community usually falls under that umbrella, the LGBTQ. So when you got these funding for these certain organizations, um, they have a whole shitload of um, MSMs and LGBT and gay men, but the trans community really isn't there. So they're the ones that usually end up getting, you know, the benefit of everything. And the trans community is still lost in the sauce out there okay. trying to figure it out. So, and that's when I was like, oh no, like, I did, like this has to stop. Like, I, I got tired of working 
for organizations that wasn't really centering the, the, the lives of Black trans women. Um, I got tired of seeing all, all, all of the stories. I got tired of speaking to my girlfriends. I got tired of getting phone calls from people crying, stressed out, not, not knowing what to do. And I was, I felt like I was already doing the work. You know, I'm staying up to two, three o'clock in the morning, helping such and such figure out where to go next. And I'm like, I'm doing the work. Like I might as well start my own organization right. and literally center the lives of Black trans women yes. and try to for my community and that's where the light kind of like and i was like and i spoke to my husband and he was like go for <laughs> yeah, it yeah <laughs> I was like, and he just gave me that push like go for it go for it and in the very beginning he was the one helping me um with any little things that i couldn't do well all the little small events that i had that i wanted to give things out to the community whatever he was the one coming out of his pocket like here babe do this do that do that, do that. and um and it all started coming apart until so people started believing in what I was doing and started helping and donating or whatever. And and literally, oh my God, Bridges for Life has been a success so far. Um, you know, weekly we feed over three hundred people. I love um, it. Thursdays. Um, wow. We, you know, we close people on the winter. You know, I usually go out. I usually try to see the coldest winter. You know, I, I call it the um, the coldest winter ever program. Um, and I try to figure out what day in in, in the in the winter is going to be the coldest day um, of the year. And we go out with um, you know with garments, with with, with gloves, mints. You know what I'm saying? And we close the people. We give them you know blankets. So you know, so people that are actually sleeping underneath the trains that are literally just sleeping there with yes. one little sheet. You know, give them warm stuff to like keep themselves warm with and feed them. Unfortunately, sometimes the food don't be um, hot because we don't have a microwave with us but we give them food right. and you know and, and i say that because that breaks me every time i feed somebody and i and i have to give them like cold food it breaks me because i was like you know like uh, uh, i wish i could I, I could just have like a a portable freaking you know right. a, a portable microwave in my pocket i could just pull it out and warm it up for them um but you know we do that as much as we can um you know recovery coaching you know we, um a, a, a companionship shift because I feel like that a lot of organizations really doesn't really focus on that. And some people are afraid to go to these appointments and do things on their own. Some people are afraid. Some people, especially when you're when, when you're coming off of a, a binge or you're on drugs or you're um or you're just, say, for example, a, a year and a half into smoking crack or whatever, coming out of that is traumatic. You know, um, just go, say, for example, for a cisgender woman, for a cisgender woman, Coming out of a uh, uh, um, um, that situation, just going to the store, to the supermarket alone to say, for example, get something that she needs, like maxi pads. She's on her period. She needs maxi pads. Going to the supermarket and just standing there in one aisle where you have lots of brand names, lots of name brands, lots of colors, and you see all different sizes because you know they have different sizes for um for your cootie cat. So um, you know, <laughs> and you're just sitting there looking around, just that alone. That decision alone can drive a person so crazy that can make her run out and trigger her into go back doing drugs. Just making that one simple decision on what's the right maxi pad to get for your freaking coochie, like literally. And um, and 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 this, those are things that people doesn't understand. So going to some, going with someone to helping them yeah. to make those choices, um, helping them fill out applications or whatever things that they don't understand. You know, you got to think about it. People that are doing drugs for years and years and years, you know, everything advances without them. They stay left behind. The um, the new technology, you know, yeah. usually um, you know, you see any crackhead from the hood and you try to help out or whatever with a phone and they come to you like oh help me do this real quick they don't even know how to use their iphone so you literally try to like help them right. and do this and do that i have done it plenty of times like okay look and you do this and you do that and i try to help them because um i know that within their drug addiction they lost they lost you know keeping up with us you know they they, they, they lost all the t uh, all the technology so you know we got to help them and sometimes um that 
program alone, um, being uh, um, an escort and providing that service and then going with them and literally just walking, holding their hands, yes. sometimes even actually sitting in the same room with their doctor and helping them have that conversation sometimes is a tremendous help. So these are the things that we do for now until we're able to do our ultimate goal, which is really to house the the, um, the people that's coming out of the foster care system. So um, my focus is to definitely house the TGNC community that's coming out of the foster care system that still doesn't have a way, um, you know, that, that, doesn't, that doesn't have a method of living and method of life and, and be able to house them, house them until the age of 25, 26, you know, and get them job ready, you know, educate them, you know, build them up you know, encourage them or whatever, and, you know, turn them into young successful adults so that they can be able to pass, go through. I want to be able to, I want my organization to be a, a revolving door. I feel like many, and and, and this, and you see this in, in a lot of organizations, many organizations have the same clientele. Five, six years goes by and you got the same clientele. Mm-hmm. In one way, sometimes it's good, but if you got more than 15 people that are cut, five, six years, they're still in the same place, still in the same predicament, still in the same position. There's something wrong. And it's not that, it's you. So my organization um, needs to to, um, act as a revolving door. I need people to be able to come into my organization, grab the tools that they need to be able to move on and follow a path that they're able to continue and not have to look back instead of giving them crumbs that are keeping them stagnated in the same position. Right. What I what I hear you saying, basically, if I was to put it in a nutshell, is that you're saving lives. And and I and there was a point you were talking where I got goosebumps because that's just that's what it's about. Like it is our job to stand up and to stand out and to and to show people that they can be okay. And the work that you're doing, I mean, I'm trying to figure out what it is that I can do here really, right? Like, what do we need? Is it the trans youth? Like, should I like, should I take out an ad that says, hey, the Lansing trans guy is here, just so everybody that, that needs to know knows there's somebody here that's okay and you can talk to me? I mean, you've got me thinking again. And so I just wanna make sure you know that what you're really doing is saving, I mean, saving and changing lives, which yeah. makes my heart, you know? I mean, you gave me a little goosebumps there. So Thank let's, you. let's switch real quick. I know I've been talking to you forever. I'll let you go in a minute, but <laughs> let's talk about just a couple of these bills and the anti-trans legislation. Um, you know, so Texas, right? Texas and Florida. Um, we've got our anti-sports bills. We've got the don't say gay bill. Just as a trans woman, my first question for you would be, how do these make you feel overall? Like if you, when you see the news, you see it on Twitter, you saw it on social media, what's your first reaction when you see stuff like that? I cried. I cried. I got tearful. Um, because, you know, it literally is, it, it's like I said, it's like, we're, it's blatant in our, it's blatant in our face now. We all knew that homophobia, homophobia is this. We all knew that there was people that were homophobic, people that didn't like us, people that called us gay, faggots, or whatever the case is, blah, blah. Um, Somehow, we always found a way to justify it. It was like, well, what did she do? Or, oh, he was probably, you know what I'm saying, flame on around them and bothering them or whatever. <laughs> or who knows? You know what I'm saying? We always found a way to kind of like, you know what I'm saying? Cause even to make me, it okay. To make it okay. Because even me growing up, it was kind of like I always lit, latched on to when people said like, oh, you're not like them. Like, yeah, I, I, I asked with you. You're gay, but you're not like them. 
You know what I'm saying? It's kind of like, okay, what you mean? Right. Not like that. Like, we're all the same. Right. You know, I am. Day, just, I am like them. Yeah. I am like that. I'm very much right. like that. Sorry. So, you know, um, so it was like, you know, and I feel like um, we've always found ways to justify it. But um, now with these bills, it's blatant in our face, just how it was blatant when they murdered George Floyd right in front of us. It is blatant in our face. Like, how can you come up with a bill that says, don't say gay? When literally we have gay children, that is, is is a fact. Like we have documentaries of 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 kids that are six years old transitioning, and parents that are supporting them, and blah blah blah. How can we deny? How can we literally um, turn the blind eye to a whole species, to a whole like exactly. like like? How inhumane can you be right. to try to de de delete the existence of gay people when it's like we have a freaking gay? We have a gay Pride Month right. for God's sake. Well, like, you, how can you you're saying something so important. Like, I just tweeted the other day. I'm like, so you're trying to tell me that all of the doctors that treat trans people and all of the therapists that write the letters and see trans people and all of the scientists that know biology and gender and chromosomes, like, all those people are wrong. All those people don't know exactly. what they're talking about with their medical degrees Exactly. All these people go to a secret meeting and they're like, let's tell people that this is true. Like, and and the, the percentage of the population that we even make up, it's it's absurd to have this much focus on that amount of people. On oh, that amount of people, exactly, exactly. We're a fraction of the population. Like, we can't, I mean, we are, we're, you know, we have allies and we're part of a larger community, but like, there's not, there's not, we're not taking over anything. We just want to be alive. We literally yeah. just want to be alive. Right? Mm-hmm. That's all I want. I just want to I, I just want to die of natural causes. <laughs> <laughs> right. I just want to make that's it. That's all. That's all. Please don't take my life by surprise. Exactly. <laughs> I just wanna like I just wanna die when I'm supposed to because I'm old or whatever. Yeah. Not because somebody hates me just for being alive. For, yeah. for existing. Wow. That's we, we have we have a double time, of course, because, you know, we are, are the color of our skin and the, the, the sexuality we choose to go by and how we choose to identify. So um, that's like a triple target. It's really something, you know. OK, for me, I will say it's changed a smidge. Right. So I used to be able to say, right, I'm black. I'm a woman, which I never felt like, but I used to say it. I'm a woman. And then I like women. So that made me a lesbian. Right. So I had. I felt like I had three things against me. And so now, right, like you can take one away, the woman thing. And there is something to that, right? I mean, there just is. There's something to how men are perceived, how men are received, and how they um, are spoken to by other people just instinctively. And then the other thing I had to get used to was, okay, now you're a black dude. And people look at black dudes different. They just do. They assume things about you, um, regardless, and depending on how you're dressed or how you're speaking or, you know, I mean, I feel different when I drive in my car, you know, than I did before. And so I think, I think you're absolutely right. Like our blackness is such a huge part of this also, because we're judged on, we're judged on that first. And then for, you know, some trans women who may not be um, presenting it or who are just you know starting off or trying to make it right or you know they haven't you know done whatever right like you're being looked at like first you're looking at they're looking at your color and then they're looking at you from the outside and not even giving you a chance I mean in that 
That's mm-hmm. what it boils down to me. That's what it boils down to. Like trans women have a harder time because sometimes it can take longer to get where you want to be to pass or because people think they know something that they don't. Would you agree with that? Mm-hmm. And that's what I think. And it's unfair and I hate it. Right. Like I can walk around. I can walk around all day and nobody would be the wiser. And that's not the same for a lot of my trans sisters. And that's exactly. the part. And that's the part that like I don't know how to I don't know what to do. You know, and that goes back to your point of like, we need other people to help us. We need other people to say that it's okay. Like, it, it's okay. Like, see, you're just you. And I want to say, I want to say, um, before we move forward to the next question, I want to say thank you for the work that you do. Because honestly, um, a lot of times we don't talk about our trans brothers um, and what they go through. Because um, I feel that, you know, uh, at, 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 and most times, I feel like y'all have it even worse because, like you said, you know, say you're you're considered a black man first, um, and then once they know that you're trans, then that's like an add-on. But um, as a black man, you're you're like literally hated in this world, and um, you know. So um, and then of course to to other um, black men that might want to um, test your masculinity or whatnot, you know, what I'm saying it could be very dangerous. You know, what I'm saying it could be very detrimental. There's um, there's a lot of trans men that's been in positions where they've gotten raped yeah. or whatnot. So um, I want to thank you for um, for not hiding in your in your um, in your identity because I think that is um, way easier for men mm-hmm. to uh, to hide behind the image of a cisgender male than it is for a transgender woman because the eyes is less off of them. Um, you know, a man could be a man. A man, listen, a man could be an ugly man. A man could be a big man. A man could be a fat man or whatever. They don't really have the pressure you're, that, you're the absolutely same, right. that, 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 that a woman would have yep. with those same aspects. An ugly man could still find himself a badass woman. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. A, a, a big man, or you say they, so that 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 look and that stare isn't really focused on you as a man. As a woman, you know, it's like we help we, we, we gotta be looking this, so we gotta have yeah. our makeup correctly or whatever. The tension is always more on a woman than a man. So um, you know, so I, I thank you for not hiding in those shadows and for um, you know, standing up for your community and for um for helping us in this fight. No, I think it's important. I mean, here's here's the thing. Like I don't think that if it's not safe for you, you know, or if you don't have the confidence, you're not there, right? Like, I wouldn't tell any trans person that you must be out and exactly. proud because safety-wise, right? If you don't, if you don't have the support, if you, if your goal was to get to you and live your life, and, I, and I'm proud and happy for you, right? Some of mm-hmm. us, yeah, we do, we do have to do that. And we do have that responsibility, and I think, you know, I, at the beginning of this, it just, it just makes me feel. Like, I don't feel bad at all that they don't talk about trans men, okay? Like, in terms of the whole, like, I played college basketball as a, as a woman. I did. I played Division One college basketball, right? And so I don't get so mad when they talk about how, you know, if it was the opposite, a trans man wouldn't be whatever because, like, I would have been good. I would have been. I would have done what I had to do. Like, would I have played at Michigan? I don't know. Maybe not. But I would have went somewhere because I worked hard and I was an athlete. And... I think when I walk into rooms now, I have to I have to find the balance of like how much of what I was before that was also good do I bring forward? Um, and I'm not gonna lie to you, like do you think I've never thought like what if I moved across the country to some place where nobody knows me, you know, and just started over? Do you know what I mean? And just started over. Like why do I like I could just be this guy who's married okay. to this woman with these kids? Yeah. You know? Yeah. 
Exactly. So, all right. Thank that's, you. Yeah, that's but, something. I uh, always will, though. I always stand in front and and behind you, always. Thank uh, you. If you could, all right, so let's go here. We're almost done. If you could give a message to young trans kids who are seeing all this hate or who are worried about coming out um, or who don't know what to do, what would your message to them be? Um, living your truth, take your time. Um, you don't necessarily have to, to look like a woman to be a woman. Um, you know, your identity lies within you, not your outer. Um, and, and to never, you know, never live depressed, never, never let that be a part of your depression. Um, you know, we're moving, we're in a time where things are getting better. We still have a lot to go, but, um, I believe that we 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 all can achieve trans liberation. Absolutely, I love that you said that. Right, like you you because people you know like if you're depressed, you have anxiety. Like of course you do. Like get it treated right. But like the way you phrased it, like try not to let that be what depresses you because that's a great, beautiful, amazing thing about you. Like when mm -hmm. people like the way people are talking about trans people, it's to me it's like trans people are so freaking cool are you like are you serious like trans people are cool because like you're brave and you're strong you're courageous and you're interesting and you had to figure something out that a lot of people couldn't do and you have to be strong enough to walk around as you you have to know yourself so well to be able to say "Ooh, that wasn't right i mean so people can can put a negative spin on it if they want to but like to me i think that we are cool i think that we are amazing and i think that um we deserve the same rights as everybody else because we're just humans. You know? That was amazing what you just said. Well, I uh I appreciate you. And I appreciate everything that you said today and I super appreciate you taking the time to talk to me today. So thank you for coming on my show. For having me. So I need something from all my friends out there. I need you to subscribe on YouTube. I need you to like it. I need you to rate it, share it. And if you're in a good mood, you can also follow The Reconstructed Man on Facebook. You can follow us on Twitter. You can also follow me. I'm kind of funny um, at the underscore right underscore lane. Are you a part of the LGBTQ plus community and you want to be on the show? Send me an email at thereconstructedman at gmail.com. Now, keep doing you because nobody can do it better than you can. I'm Lane Ingram, and this is The Reconstructed Man Podcast.